This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery, like McKenna, brings a top-tier lineup. With Leaf Davis-esque delivery right to your door, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only by app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to another very special edition of the Blue Monday podcast. I'm Craig Fimbo and joining me is an Ipswich Town legend twice over. I'm delighted to welcome a man who not only finds himself fifth in the list of highest ever appearance makers for Ipswich Town, he also managed the third most matches in our history. A very, very warm welcome to George Burley. George, how are you going? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, yeah, enjoying a nice sunny morning. Just walked the dog, so um, yeah, I'm all on all re- all to go. Perfect. So the plan is, given your length of service, that we'll have a chat about your playing career and then about your managerial career afterwards, if that's okay. Yeah, that sounds good. So, well, where do we where do we start then? 1972, do we start in? 71. 71. That's when you came down and joined Ipswich, was it? And yes. how on earth how on earth did that come about? Well, I mean, um, we'll go and talk more about Sir Bobby um, as um, time goes on with the interview. But, um, you know, Sir Bobby put a sort of plan ahead, ahead of his time, to try and bring players, young players, from all over the country. And that and that, and that was Scotland as well. Scotland, the North East, the Midlands, everywhere, really. Uh, and they organised trials uh, near my home place in Cumnock. Um which actually is near Glenbuck. If anybody's seen the the, the program at Glenbuck at Netflix about um, Liverpool um, and Bill Shankly, um, I lived near there. So there was trials, and I was um, you know did okay, and they invited me down. I think it was Easter. Me and uh, a number of other Scottish lads. Uh, so we played trials, and after that trial, I was lucky enough to. Um, been invited um, to sign an apprenticeship, um, so it was a big decision. So the trials I was only fourteen. Uh, I played Scottish schoolboys, um, and I had a few offers from local clubs like Air United and um, Kamarnock, uh, where I lived. Um, so it was something I had to think about. Um, there was another boy called Kenny Taylor, same age, and he was from Salkets uh, in Ayrshire as well, and he was invited. Um, so I spoke to my parents. They, you know, they were keen for me to stay on at school and and try and progress. But they knew I wanted to do it, and they felt that they couldn't stand in my way. So myself and Kenny Taylor signed, and we were the two first ever Scottish boys to to sign apprenticeship uh, for Ipswich. And then that was at the age of fifteen. I was uh, fifteen and third of June, and I think I came to Ipswich on about the twenty fifth of June, nineteen seventy one. Wow. Seems a long time ago and it was um, a big decision, but it was one I, I never regretted. But and so then presumably you had to live in live in digs and you know, had a had the life of a an apprentice basically. So what were you well looked after in those days? Yeah. Um I mean Ipswich was you know, under Savobi and the club and the Cobalt was such a family club. Um 
and there was other youngsters there from all over the country. And, um, you know, we were a very tight bond. Um, you know, we, we, you know, we, Ipswich was a very vibrant place and very friendly. And we all played and we played in the southeast counties, um, you know, where the, where the Astra pitch is now. Um, um, in the mornings, we used to get good crowds and we had a very good team. So we were very, you know, great coaches, you know, Cyril Lee, Bobby Ferguson, then Charlie Woods came. Um, and Ron Gray, who was a big character. Ron Gray said that I was a frying pan signing. <laughs> <laughs> because I lived in the little council house with my mum and dad. And, and there was a tiny wee kitchen. And they put the form on in the little unit right next to the frying pans. So Ron called it, it was a frying pan signing. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he came all the way up to Scotland to get you to sign the forms, did he? Yes, he did. Uh, Ron, there was another boy called George Finlay, who was the chief scout in Scotland, who 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 brought a lot of good players like you know, uh, you know Johnny Wark and Alan Brazil. So um, yeah, so that, so that was the start of the frying pan signing and and progressed um, through the youth team, and it was very competitive in southeast counties. Yeah, um, you know, which really was tough, and uh, but it was very, very enjoyable. I would say the first six months, there was no doubt I was homesick. Um, and, you know, I had the other Scottish boy with us who, who helped. Um, but this first six months uh, as a 15-year-old and and I had other problem was nobody could understand the word I said. <laughs> now I've lost my Scottish accent being a stiff-up boy. We've knocked, we've knocked the edges off slightly, yeah? <laughs> so, yeah. That, that, but um, the football-wise, it was great. I, I mean, I love football. I love training, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And um, things were going quite well on the field. But yeah, initially it was difficult to settle. Yeah, cool. Understandably, at that age, isn't it? So, you, as you say, you played Southeast Counties League for a season or two, but yeah, it, yeah, it I was. Oh, sorry, I was very lucky because I won the Southeast Counties Player of the Year. Uh, one big disappointment I had. It was uh, presented to us in London. And Bobby Moore was supposed to be coming and present me. That was in 1973. Uh, but unfortunately, he couldn't make it. So that was a disappointment. But, you know, I was very pleased to win that prize. I think, I think I'm think i the only kid from Ipswich had won it. So um, that was a big honour for me. Well, to, to win that in 1973, you must have been 16, 17, 17 years old. Yeah, because that's... And then 1973, obviously, is when you started to make your way into the into the first team. And a bit of a baptism of... Batsman's was fire, was it, at, uh, for your debut? Yeah, I mean, I had been playing the reserves and, um, you know, Charlie Woods was um, charged and, you know, and he, you know, Charlie had gone very well with and he was promoting me and there was a few injuries. Um, I think Jeff Hammond had been in the team because I think Mick Mills and uh, people was injured. Um, and, and then all of a sudden Bobby said to me, on the Thursday evening, I think, you know, bring bring your um, stuff in to stay overnight because you'll be travelling with us to, to Manchester. And I thought, oh, OK, you know, it'd be nice just to travel. I mean, I was only 17, Old Trafford, you know, all the, the well-known players, the fantastic international players they had. So then on the Friday morning, he says, how, how are you feeling? Well, I feel good, enjoyed the training with the pros. And he didn't used to do much on a Friday morning. We actually used to use spikes, <laughs> nobody believe, for sprinting. And I loved oh, that. Because I, you know, I loved that because it was fairly quick and I, I, I really loved running. So that, that was different uh, from there. So he said, by the way, I don't know, is your parents come to the game? I said, well, you know, it's a long way, Bobby. I mean, they've only got a little car. It'll probably take them five hours. Oh, well, just tell them that you're going to start the game you'll be playing. That sort of... <laughs> so, so, so I told them and, um, yeah, travelled up on the Friday for the game on the Saturday. Yeah. So come Saturday, we got just just um, to the ground and the coach stops and I can see Bobby walking up up uh, the bus for me. He said, George, is your parents here? I said, yeah, I phoned them, Bobby. It was going to take them five, six hours because the roads are not very good then to Scotland. Okay, where are they? And I said, well, I've just spotted them. They're just over there. I said, fine. So he got out of the bus, walked over to my parents and says, Mr. and Mrs. Burley, 
they, there's two directors box tickets to watch the sun today. And that just summed them up. And, um, you know, that was, you know, for me, it gave me such a high as well for my parents to be there. So, um, yeah, couldn't have been a better place to make your debut. And it couldn't have been against a better player? <laughs> yeah, well, Joe's best and everybody. I mean, but it's 17 year old. Oh, I had no fear. <laughs> I'd one of these up, let me out there. You know, that's how I felt. And um, and I went and played. <laughs> I, um, I dropped, I'm sure I was nervous, but it was, oh, I just think, right, let me out. I'm, that's what I want to do. I knew I was quick and I knew I could get up and down the field, whether I could cope with the talent. Um, lucky for me, maybe Jaws Bass, yeah, it was one of his last games. And um, I always say, yeah, I did quite well. He only nutmegged me three times during the game. So I did okay. <laughs> but then after that game, you barely missed a game. Well, you played every match apart from one for the rest of that season. Yeah, I mean, that, that's something I always tell, you know, look at um, managers and players. And I'm sure there was times where during that spell, I may be having a bad game or nothing. But Sir Bobby believed in you and wanted to work in the training grounds. And if things didn't maybe go quite well, he said, well, you know, or Bobby Ferguson or Charlie Woods or Cyril Lee would say, yeah, we've got to work on that. And and you learned yourself, you knew the things you had to work on and you got better. So that was the support you needed. So, uh, you know, um, I didn't say I played badly every game, but <laughs> but as I say, it was it was great. So there was that continuity and the, the you know, continual improvement, which was built up in it, which, and that's what we believed in. Every day, you know, Bobby Ferguson says, well, you know, think about your game. Where did it wasn't perfect? If your left foot or your head in or that wasn't right, Monday morning, that's where it starts. That's where you actually improve it for the next game. And that is what the last game's over. The next game's the most important. It's not just talking about... Um number of matches really it wasn't just that season it's every season now for the next seven eight seasons yourself and pretty much the majority of the squad are playing 40 plus games each year um how did you know everyone manage to play so many games with no sports science and sports scientists and performance people tracking your every movement on a pitch and things like that how, how did we manage to just churn out so many matches as a unit Number of factors. Um, every factor is very important. Uh, mentally, you've got to be tough, you've got to be strong, you've got to have the desire, you've got to have the dedication, you've got to have the belief. That's got to come. Then you've got, you know, the fitness side to keep that up. Um, I used to, you know, go out in the afternoons, you know, and, and I was a fullback and I loved to go up and down. As soon as Paul Cooper got the ball, I was off or I was up and down, and I was a very quick, breaking quickly from the back. Yeah. So I used to have a, a weight jacket, which we had in the club, and two or three afternoons a week, I used to go out in that one practice ground we had. You know, you look at the practice areas or the training grounds they have now. We, I can't believe that we had three teams, and we only had one area in the park across the road, <laughs> and all three teams trained in that. So I used to work in the afternoon at my sprinting. I go right box to box and do that for half an hour, two or three times a week. So that kept the strength and that belief. I remember speaking to like John Barnes once. He said, "John, he said I hate playing against you because I'm always chasing you. I never get the ball because I'm always chasing you back the way." So I felt that was the way to go. Let the winger work what you know, worry about me, and then because I had put it into the training ground. And, and Bobby Ferguson used to always say, put it in the bank, because once you've done all that in training in the bank, you go out in the field feeling better, yeah. feeling stronger than your opponent. So it was a continual thing for the team. No team was the same. And, and you know, when I was a manager, whatever, you hardly see people after training doing extra. I think, what's going on here? Because we used to spend, because a manager can only do so much in a coach. Then after the group sessions, it's up to you to say, hang on, I need to there. You know, you know, and you talk about Paul Marin, I bless him, whatever. I used to say, Paul, Paul said, right, just, you know, straight balls into me and bang. His control was unbelievable because he worked at it. 
You know, and I used to be quite a good passer ball because I worked at it. Yeah. Sometimes about half hour earlier, like the, we had a big board at the training ground, just hitting right foot, left foot, just practicing it. So you take that on. So all those factors, you know, had to be there to make a top class side for the team. And and when you look at the players, look at the internationals in that team, oh, it was second to none. And that wasn't all natural. That wasn't big signings and, and players who were fantastic. It was a group of players wanting to improve and get better. Fuck hard, yeah. Well, you say about it being a, a top class top class group of players. We, you finished fourth in your first season as a as a after your debut, and then the following season, I think we finished third behind Derby and Liverpool. And famously, if it was three points for a win, we'd have won the league. Um, and lost in the semi-finals of the FA Cup to West Ham, but you were, the you were now, yeah, you were now part <laughs> of the furniture. So, do you, you remember much about the West Ham replay? I think it was we lost. Yeah, um, I think um, I think I was struggling for the first game with my ankle, but I played, and Bobby said you shouldn't have played because you know. But I remember the replay, and I mean, I think I mean Chelsea weren't. I think wasn't my favourite place to play at, and. And it was a close game, but the decisions went against us that day. You know, no doubt. I think um, Brian Hamilton keeps talking about it all the time. I think it was handball, and he didn't actually handle it. But it never happened. Um, and it went close at that period. It had been great to get um, a bit farther. But, um, yeah, it was a, we were competing, and we're very unfortunate not to get there. I think was it the West Ham ended up winning it. Was it against Fulham in the final? Yeah, um, and yeah, I think they, they, it was a it was a game where yeah. you would expect to win the final, and um, unfortunately, it wasn't for us. But um, again, we were there, thereabouts, cups and leagues every season. And you know, you're 18 years old in that in that in that year. You know, you played 44 matches for a team that's finishing third and getting to the semi-finals of the the FA Cup, and then the following year it's sixth, the following year it's seventh. So the, these aren't flash in the pan. Um, Flashing the pan occurrences, but just taking it forward a couple of years then. So when you were 20, so 1976-77, you won Player of the Year as a as a fullback yeah. in the team, which has just finished third in the in the first division. And you said earlier about your playing style. I thought attacking fullbacks were a modern Jurgen Klopp. <laughs> I thought Jurgen Klopp invented those, didn't he? No, I mean, I mean, I the game's progressed. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but formations, people think, oh, everybody used to play 4-4-2, everybody played the same way. No, that wasn't happening. As I say, Bobby Robson was, you know, in advance of his time, and so were the coaches. You know, and for example, you know, way we, we, we move things around, like Eric Gates. I mean, Bobby Ferguson loved Eric Gates, I did, but I know East doing them. But Eric Gates had some great qualities. But he wasn't just an ordinary midfield player. He was one of these who could score your goals, but maybe defensively wasn't great. But he was terrific at the ball to feet. So we engineered a system with somebody playing off the strikers, you know, which, you know, it's like, well, never did that then. We started that years ago. So, we, you know, they were clever and clever the way we did it. We kept in front of people, you know, and we, we didn't have masses of squad, small squad. I looked at it, you know, you know, the other day, and I think from the UFA Cup or the squad, I think we'd nine, nine came through the, the youth system out of the 14, which is phenomenal. Coming through, the, you know, and playing in Europe every year, getting to cup finals, getting to quarter finals, semi-finals. So, uh, yeah, I think we we were well, well advanced, but I think the, the, the what really stuck out for me, how we wanted to work together how we wanted to continue improving, you know, because, you know, you can do it maybe one season, but it's hard to keep it going. And um, under, you know, Sir Bobby and the staff and the players at that time, we did keep it going for a good 10 years. So, you know, you think you could have played wing-back or these attacking full-backs we see nowadays wouldn't have been an issue for yourself? One of my strengths, I think, was picking up and listening to things, you know, and Bobby and... Ferguson and Sarah and Charles said, well, you tell some players you pick up quick. And I was always that type of player. I wanted to learn. And if you told me something, I would look at it, pick it up fairly quickly. Uh, my strength was going forward. 
So, um, you know, uh, and passing the ball because I practiced it. I loved to do it. Used to have, his, you know, I think his, um, Bobby Robb said, you know, every club in the back had a sand iron, I had a driver, I had a pitching wedge, and I had a lovely field because, like the coaching drills we used to do, every week we'd do it two or three times a week, and which I carry on doing it. And actually, I was talking to Tony Mowbray the other day, and says, oh, Matt Venus keeps doing your coaching drills. He <laughs> loves it. And they're not doing too bad at the moment. No, they're not. Flying high. So, yeah. for me, it's repetition. And I've been, you know, learned coaches, coaches, you've got to enjoy passing the ball. Enjoy it. If you don't get the players to enjoy passing the ball, oh, they've, oh, we've got, they've got to enjoy things. Enjoy training. Enjoy passing the ball. You know? And it's like communication. Com- communication's that way. You've got to train them to communicate with each other. It didn't just come. You know, you get players, you know, one of the strengths of your club, you've got players and you're making them better on the training ground. You know, and these days they're showing them on, you know, their laptops and all that. I still don't think it's the same. It's getting out on the training ground and actually doing it with them and stopping them and doing it. And the repetition, if I look at any other sport, repetition's key. Golf, tennis, whatever. So... Some players, oh, I'll get, oh, we're doing the same passing here. Yeah, you know, come on. You've got to re- do it all the time. Does Andy Murray moan about doing a forehand or a backhand? You know, a Tiger Woods hitting a drive, you know, for two or three hours after he plays. The repetition is so important to get it right. And even like crossing balls up, you know, I got a stage where I could do it in my sleep. I could find Johnny Walker in my sleep. It's rolled back to me, it's on Walker's head and it's 1-0, you know? I can do it my sleep, you know? And then once I'm a manager and I'm looking at them, I'm thinking, <laughs> they can't do it. <laughs> they just can't do it because I haven't done it and done it. Yeah. You know, I think, I keep saying the only player I felt was better at crossing the ball than me is when I worked with Gareth Bale. <laughs> That's me just been, you know, a bit cocky. But I, because I'd done it all the time, you know, it came easy. And that's where the repetition, repetition for players is so important. Yeah. Well, it becomes second nature, doesn't it? I it is. You do it in your sleep. Yeah. So, you having won the Player of the Year in 77, the guy that won it the following year was Mick Mills, the other left back, the left back on the other side. So, what was he like? You said about the, you know, the team that came through together, but was he the glue that held it all together? Yeah. M- Mick's so mentally strong. Ah, oh, I mean, he's one of these players. He's, he's, you know, his his focus is there. You know, whether he plays left back, right back, midfield, and Mick maybe wasn't the quickest. Maybe you know, passing the ball not long but short. But he had so much confidence, you know, there, and that gave the team confidence. Because you go out there and Mick says, "Yeah, we're going to win this," and you might do some wrong, hey, some wrong. So what? Move on. You know, so so he was very shrewd, he was very focused, and he was a really good captain. Because no matter thing, the way things were going, Mick was there and said, come on, head up, bang, let's get it right. And um, so he was terrific captain. So the following year, things tailed off a bit in the league, didn't they? 77-78, we finished off relegation. Lost to Barcelona on penalties um, in December. Um Obviously, we more than made up for that with the uh, with the FA Cup. But before getting to the final, were there any particular memories or matches in the run-up and in the, in the cup run? Um, obviously, you know, we can talk about a certain goal at, at Millwall if you like in the in the quarter-final. But any any of the others? Um, no, um, I mean we we struggled to get through um, in the snow against um, Bristol. Bristol Rovers. Yeah. I think Robin Turner. Robin Turner ended up scoring, and we managed to get a replay play and get through, which you need in the cup. A little bit of luck. Uh, the Millwall one certainly comes to mind. We're probably the best goal ever for Ipswich, and one <laughs> in six, and we were dodging bricks and stones yeah. on the way off. So it wasn't so good. Semi-final was a terrific game um, at Highbury, where we won three-one with. Um, Brian Talbot, I can keep seeing the blood coming around in his head, and and I was against Willie Johnson, and um, you know it was a game where it was going to be tough. 
Um, actually, I played golf oh, last year with Ron Atkinson, and Ron was the manager there. And he, you know, and he said to me after five minutes, the ball got past Willie Johnson, the ball, and he knocked it past me. And I, I and, and it seemingly said, You turned, and you, you ran past him, knocked about the keeper, and Paul Cooper picked it up. And, I, and he said, From that minute, I thought, Well, we're in trouble here. <laughs> and that was big road. So it was nice of um, him still remembering that day. And, and I think, the, you know, I remember Johnny Watt scoring as well, I think, that game. But I think it was. That was a game where afterwards you're on such a high, yeah. you know. You know you're getting to the final. You're travelling back in the coach with all the lads, and the whole, you know, the whole, you know, the bridges were blue and white. And then for the whole month after that, the whole town was blue and white, thinking about yeah, we won the semis. We're we're going to Wembley. And that was it. Everybody was chasing tickets. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody wanted to go. That that month before it was phenomenal. And what your what your memories of the day itself, or the lead up to the day itself? You know, staying nearby and yeah. getting to the ground and bits and pieces like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, we trained a little bit. I think the day before on it, it was it was quite wet. It was you know, on the, on the day it was sunny, but it was quite a heavy pitch. But I mean, I mean, from start to finish, we're on top, you know. Yeah. Um, played some great stuff. Could have scored goals. Remember, you know, my header. But one of few headers at goals where Pat Jennings got this great big hand and knocked it away, and Johnny Watt hitting the bar and the cross, and Mar- Maris hitting the the post. I think a bar, well on top, and um, you know, and, and it was great for Roger, Roger Osborne, who's Who's a local lad, yeah. you know, salted us. Everybody loved Roger, such an honest lad, and, and coming on and scoring. Um, so that, that was great for Suffolk and for Ipswich and, and, and for Roger himself. Any particular celebrations afterwards? Or was it pretty low key? To be honest, everybody was shattered. Yeah. It was one of those, the semi final was different, you know, it was a different feeling, you know, yeah, we're, yeah, we're getting there. I think there was so much emotion and it was a heavy pitch and you put so much into it. You know, yeah. we were back to the tail in London and, and really just a bit flaked out, you know, because uh, everybody, was, we got there, we won it and, and, it, and then you think, whoa, whoa, that was yeah. great. So the following years then, we signed a couple of Dutch guys. Um, I think after the FA Cup final, Arnold Muren in the following season, Franz Tyson. How did how did things change from a playing style perspective, and how easy was it for the team to accommodate them? Yeah, I mean, you, you talked about how you developed as a player or whatever, but you know, we were a team we were developed. And I remember Arnold saying after the first game, his neck was sore because the ball kept going over his head. So, you know, once you've got a player like Arnold and Franz, and and Franz was a part my partner. Um, you, you, you changed your play, you, you developed it. Um, and there was a great, you know, all over the pitch, both teams, you had partners and um, players you really worked with. And you, you look at Arnold Muren uh, from there, he, you know, he made Alan Bazell a lot better player because Alan was great with the ball over the top. He was second to none, you know, finishing. So Arnold had that sandwich, you know, in his, in his locker to just chip it up for Alan to run on him. And many times you've seen him slip, slip it past the keeper. So that had to develop to get Arnold on the ball so that he could develop Alan Brazil and other players to keep you playing. And the same with me with Franz Tyson. I mean, I, I played with, you know, with Brian, uh, Brian Hamilton and Roger Osborne and David Geddes in the final on the right, where Franz was one of these players. You just gave him the ball. There might have been one or two players around him you think, well, give him the ball because he, he was so good at manipulating the ball, people couldn't get near him. He used to run at full pelt straight and he hooked the ball round with his foot and go in the opposite direction and the defender was still running. And he was fantastic. And I, that was great. And for me to be able to pass the ball, then go and join in, that was heaven for me. That, that suited my play. 
because I wanted to overlap all the time and I wanted to get forward quickly. And France and myself and and then you know Arnold and the other players they, they for, formed that great link. So we did adjust it compared to '78, that when the Dutch boys, you know, Sir Bobby and the coaching staff, we changed their play so that you, to get these boys on, you know, on in the game. So your players like you know those, those two and Eric Gates needed the ball to feet. So that's the way we played then. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like home comforts. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home advantage with McDelivery. You win. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Whether you want to protect yourself whilst online or just get access to more streaming content, NordVPN has the solution for you and are now in partnership with us here at Blue Monday. NordVPN can be your cyber bodyguard whilst you're browsing online, but it also allows you to access more streaming content from abroad like sporting events, box sets or films. With one click of a button, NordVPN can digitally transport you to the US, Australia or Amsterdam. For the price of an ITFC match programme each month, you can subscribe to NordVPN and have access to these great services. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, head to nordvpn.com slash bluemonday or click the link in the podcast description. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, so get yourself a great deal and support the podcast in the process. And so, following year, I think we finished third again behind Liverpool and Manchester United, and obviously en route beat the famous Manchester United 6-0 um, victory at, uh, at Portman Road. Um, you weren't involved in the escape to victory, George. You didn't fancy the uh, the Hollywood uh, glamour of the escape to victory trip in the summer of 1980. Well, well I could have done because uh, I was over with Scotland. We were over in Budapest and Johnny Work was going and asked me, do you want to go? And, you know, my wife was pregnant, uh, my first son then. Um, so I don't think that went down too well. <laughs> but of course, all the stories, I'm probably ever, everybody's heard about Johnny Work's story over there where he, where he went there for four or five weeks with, um, you know, Paul Cooper and Russell and Carly and all the rest. And he had one line to say, I'll take the top bunk. And of course, Walker goes to cinema and well, only had one there, you know, whatever. And then he's listened to it and went, well, that's not my voice. <laughs> he spent five weeks and then they dubbed his voice. <laughs> but, uh, he got a few quid and had a good suntan after it. So he was quite happy. Yeah, they had a nice time, I think, didn't they? The, the the following season, obviously, is the 80-81 season. Um, you'd played 34 matches by the end of January and then come up against Shrewsbury in the FA Cup. Yep. Um, then, yeah, you, you got what was then a pretty pretty serious injury, didn't you? Yeah, it wasn't a good time for myself because I'd played, hadn't really missed any games or yeah. such there. Played Shrewsbury in the cup. Um, I think it was quite a wet day. Uh, the ball bounced and it sort of skidded off the surface over the top. You know, and I sort of moved back the way and fell with my leg under me uh, from there. And I went down and, oh, yeah, to be honest, I never have treatment. <laughs> never had treatment. <laughs> you know, one of those players where I didn't want treatment, never did concord treatment, but I stayed down. And I thought, oh, that, that's there. So they came. So I got up. And we only had one sub um, to use then. We'd used yeah. it. So I had to carry on at the wing. And we played and we got drawn. Walker kept passing me the ball. I said, Walker, don't pass the ball. I couldn't move. I, well, my leg was all over the shop. So then afterwards, about four weeks went by, seen that space of Nipsey's and started. And when I kicked the ball, my knee was unstable, kept falling down. So... Um, at the time, Kevin Beatty had his problems and Kevin had went to Cambridge um, eventually to see a specialist and they told Kevin it was probably too late. So I went to 
that species who was recommended called Mr. David Dandy, who was renowned as one of the best knee surgeons in the world. Uh, he brought the arthroscope to this country. So he examined me in there and he went, well, your knee's very unstable. I think you've, you know, torn your medial ligament and cartilage and, you know, anterior cruciate ligament as well. But I operate, I don't think you ever play football again. I've used um, carbon fibres. Um, I've stopped doing that. I was, do, you know, so we just cut your half of your patella tendon away to replace it. So got it done. You can imagine how I felt and go back in the car with my wife. But uh, my wife, you know, said, "Well, see, you know, you never know." So I had it done. Um, it was, you know, it's all torn cruciate ligament, medial ligament there, so he repaired it all, put me in a in a, a plaster, bent plaster in Cambridge, in the evening nursing home. And, um, you know, and of course I was there and I had wire, so, so actually the, t the team, the team were playing in the Midlands. Um, I think it was against Nottingham Forest. Um, and that in the evening after you know I had the operation, so I'm laying there, and all of a sudden I hear this bus pulling up, and people jumping out, and I thought, where's that noise coming from? And I thought, oh, that sounds like Maris, that sounds like Paul Maris, and the boys, door flashes open. I'm laying there, I've got a big plaster on. I've got tubes come out of my leg, there's blood all over it, and I'm laying there, yeah, Maris, oh, how are you doing? And he had this blow-up doll over his shoulders. <laughs> and I'm looking, and I'm, you know, there, oh, and he sits it down to the, in the chair next to me, and I'm lying with a plaster and blood coming everywhere, and I'm wondering, and I don't think I'm ever going to play, you know, I had to smile. <laughs> and all the boys stayed for 10, 20 minutes, and said, oh, I'm off, and I'm thinking, what are you going to do with that doll? So the boys go go off in the coach, and all I could see these little nurses peeking their head, going. Hoo, hoo, hoo. I thought, Joe, come back quickly, you know. And Joe said, maybe we should go back. I said, well, I'm not going to carry that blow up doll out the hospital. Am I? <laughs> but so that, so um, eventually I'm out of hospital. I see um, Mr. Dandy's um, physio called Harry Willis, who was a top physio. He said, I'll get you playing again. I went, wow. yep, you stay with me. Nobody else is going to touch your knee. I don't want you going back to the club. You're staying with me every day up at Cambridge, five days a week, and we'll get you fit. So I was in plaster for two months. I came out and it take, took me another six weeks to get my legs straight. And I walked every day. I would, you know, it was a difficult time for me, but I was determined to give it ever, everything I got. And eventually got fit. You know, he got me fit. I went swimming. I went to athletics coach. I had treatment for four, three, four hours every day, going to Cambridge. And um, I was out for eight, nine months. So <laughs> I got there eventually. And even now, the they're eight names, and I was the first person to come back from a torn cruciate ligament. So it was a difficult time. The boys were great, but I had to concentrate on getting myself fit, otherwise finished. I was 25, 26 year old, and um, I put the work in. I had a great physio, great specialist, and uh, I managed to play till I was 39. That's remarkable, isn't it? Because yeah, you were you were 24 when you had the injury, and as yeah. you say, it was, should have been a career-ending injury. Yes. You, went on, you went on to play another 350 times after yeah. that, which just goes to show, but you know, a combination of yeah. the hard work you put in and and the medical guys is phenomenal. At that at that point in time, wasn't it really back then? Yeah, I was the first one, and um, I got to World Cup finals in '82. Yeah, uh, I was never able to bend my knee further back, so it wasn't you know. So I, I had to develop it. I couldn't. I still can't bend my knee full back. Um, but <laughs> it's like anything, you know. You've got your body's got to adjust to it. Uh, yeah. So maybe it wasn't. It wasn't when you have an operation. It's not as good as it was before. But you know, you've got to work double hard. You know, I never used to do a lot of weights. I had to do a lot of weights. I learned how to do the weights, which got me stronger. My legs, my upper body. 
you know. So you, you try and compensate for it. After every game, I couldn't stand up because it fl- it filled up with fluid. So I used to have two or three days off to get the fluid down before I'd train again. So I had to live with it. I had to manage the knee, you know. So if I didn't manage the knee, it would get too swollen so I couldn't play. So <laughs> you, your body's got to adjust and you've got to adjust to it. And then through, you know, been very focused in life to get that right, I managed to do it. Well, as you say, you know, you, and you played in the World Cup the following summer. You, you were out until November and then played every game from that November onwards into the summer of yeah. 82. Um, actually, so what were your experience? You're at the World Cup in Spain, as you say. Um, you were there with John Walk and Alan Brazil were also in yeah. the squad, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had three guys over the England squad as well. Uh-huh. Um, any particular, well, not memories of that World Cup, but international involvement in general. They had a hell of a team, Scotland, at that time, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, people always ask me who was the best player I played against, and it would, you know, it would be Diego Maradona. He played, you know, which maybe is not too. Yeah, popular, heard of him. Yeah. Basically, Terry Butcher. De- Terry Butcher. <laughs> Bless him. Um, yeah, 1981. I went at uh, Hamden. He was absolutely fantastic, you know. He was so quick and strong, whatever. So, you know, you come against them and watching Brazil, Brazil beat Scotland 4-1, they were a fantastic team. So it was a great experience and to be involved in the World Cup and play against people like that, Maradona and that. Yeah, it was... You're talking about the tops, and it doesn't get any better. That's right. You know, it didn't get any better for me from my debut and, and being involved in the World Cups. So, so I've been very fortunate. And and you say it could have been different if if I didn't have the specialist to get my knee right. Then after a, after games, I had to be really, you know, with the fluid in my knee and adjusting my body to it. That wouldn't happen. So yeah, I've been very lucky. I've been very lucky in my life. So. Once, um, 1982 was the World Cup, so Ron Green was in charge of England at the time, and he left, and obviously Sir Bobby left to take up that position. Um, and then you start to just see players starting to drift away and, and sign for other clubs. I think Arnold Murin left that summer. Then the following season, Mick Mills, Brazil, Tyson. And as a result, the league positions start to just drift away as well, don't they? Yeah, I think every team um, you know, comes to a point where people go and, you know, you look at some Alec Ferguson with, with Man you know, and it was the same way. Ipswich. And then when your manager goes, things change as well. So that, that's the case. And, you know, it's not always the right decision for players, but I think when you get to a period where you've been for, you know, over, you know, a lot, a lot of the players had 10 years, 12 years, um, they move on, move on and um, try and, you know, look at different things, and that, that's the way it always happens. Uh, but I mean, I don't think you're ever going to get to Ipswich where with eight or nine testimonials <laughs> these days, it's two or three years to get yeah. sort of seven or eight players who have had 10 years' service is phenomenal, and I don't think it would ever happen again. Well, and uh, yeah, so we had. Let's say Mills, Brazil, Tyson left, and then the following season, Mariner and Walk sort of left pretty close to each other, didn't they? I think there's a bit in, I've been reading Paul Mariner's book and he's talking yeah. about them both handing in transfer fees, like <laughs> meet, meeting up and deciding a, a master plan to get more money, which uh, which uh, sort of worked for them. Um, but then 20, you were 28, in 1984, 1985, we finished 17th, but you had 50 appearances that year, but we lost in the semi-final of the Milk Cup, as it was, the League Cup, as it is really. Um, I think that's the first time I've ever cried, or first and only actually time I've ever cried. I was only about eight years old, and <laughs> Steve Bruce scored, didn't he, in the in the away leg to uh, put them through to Wembley. But I was looking at it. You had four matches in eight days, and you played in each one of those. You played Chelsea, Sheffield Wednesday, Norwich, and Everton. Yeah. In four, all those in in the space of in the space of eight days, it was pretty hard game. Unfortunate for us that that Norwich match fell in the middle of those games, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, used to you know Easter period and other periods used to play a lot of games, and the pitches were so heavy. Yeah. You know, the, you know the fibre sand they have these days keeps it firm, but uh, in those days it was firm. But we did it. 
I mean, um, I mean, it, it's it's amazing. We didn't have a sports sciences to tell you you shouldn't be playing. Or you yeah. shouldn't be doing that these days. Or look at look at your performance and that, thinking, oh no, he's he's you know his energy's running out. He might you know he might get injured. You didn't have that then, which I suppose it could be a good or a bad thing. But we we got on with it and played, and you know, and you think you know, if you're fit, lad, you, you know you can re- recover. But then you hear it, you hear it even now, don't you? That players would far, far more play games than they would train, wouldn't they? Yeah, it's not ideal. I mean, you know, you may you may not be quite sharp. You know, you've yeah. still got a wee bit heavy legged or whatever from if you're playing in such a small uh, space, space of three or four games. But um, yeah, that, that was the the fixtures. You know, you know what you're going to do, and that that was um, how you had to do it then. Um, sometimes here uh, at the moment um, because of you know, the way the, f- the fixtures are structured if you get one or two cried off they have got to play two or three games in maybe a week but um, that's something you, you've got to live with and then 1985 you moved up to Sunderland and you were 29 years old when you left you, but you still played another 200 times after you left after you left Ipswich um, did you have any other chances to move elsewhere before Sunderland came in? No, I mean, I mean, I was I was happy with Ipswich, but you yeah. know, when you have a number of players that move away, and I came from when I was fifteen, I had my testimonial when we played against Aberdeen, and you know, and there was you know a lot of changes going on, and I actually thinking, well, maybe for the future, if I move somewhere, it would um, help, and and I was looking to get into the coaching side as well. Um, so that, that that was the first time, and I mean, I remember speaking to Southampton um, before um, Sunderland. Uh, that didn't come about, and uh, Eric Gates had went to Sunderland and decided to go there. Um, I say, then you had a short spell at, at Gillingham and Motherwell and Air, um, where you. Well, we'll talk about this. Talk about that later when you you started to make that change into into management. Yes. But just taking it back to the to the squad, I think I can't remember. I read somewhere that Sir Bobby sort of said he had three teams in that he had his 1975 team, his 1978 team, and his 1981 team. Is there a, a would you say there's a better or a best group of players during your time at Ipswich? Is it definitely the 81 team? I mean, how do you class class better? Yeah. Um, I always say that our managers, um, you know, um, results are the primary you know, importance. Um, of course, you want to play football, but um, yeah, everybody wants to play football. So I think you've got to look at results um, as far as league and that concerned, and resources. Uh, she's never had never had much resources. So Bobby didn't, and um, so. So they say difficult, different altogether. From a technical point of view, of course, bringing the Dutch boys in, um, it improved it that way. Um, yeah. There's no doubt about that. And I think uh, from the spectators to watch, um, when you brought the Dutch lads in, uh, I think um, it was it was better to watch. But you still can't take away from the 78 team, which was different, you know, in the 75. So um, they're, they're all good because they all had good results. And to keep Ipswich up in the top 36 over those years was fantastic. So just in terms of, you said about um, not having the resources. You know, Sir Bobby famously only signed 18 players in those yeah. 13 years he was in charge. So in terms of, and, and Paul Mariner talks about it in, in the book, camaraderie and the team spirit you know you guys must have just almost been like brothers because there was such little change from year to year that it was a, a very large core of players who, who went through together and you know you're still all friends to this day aren't you? with the reunions and bits and pieces like that yeah i mean as i said previously that you know when you look at the squad the number coming through the youth policy yeah is fantastic but you've got to look at um, bobby's record of signing players um, because you know when he he saw Brian Talbot, I think Brian was a you know really good player for his great energy, um, and they brought Murin and Tyson in. Um, I think Brian went for about four hundred fifty thousand, and Murin Tyson came from came for about three fifty four hundred, you know, and they you know and and he swapped you know John Pedelity and, and Terry Austin 
for, for Paul Mariner. Um, so, I mean, that's fantastic. But the basic crux of it was the youngsters. And Bobby always wanted to do that. That's why coming at a really young age, the club couldn't do enough for you because Bobby realised, you know, that 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 was going to be the, you know, probably his best players and where most of the players are going to get into the first team if if they were going to succeed and um and 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 that structure worked really well and he just added one or two to it and then of course all the work in the training field so it, it's not just one little area it's um great great youth policy working hard in the training ground to make them better and bringing in uh, players which are, are going to improve you. In terms of your playing career, you said about Maradona being a difficult opponent. Are there any like, British-based opponents that you know you thought, crikey, we've got whoever at the weekend, this might be a, might be a tricky one? Yeah, um, actually, I watched um, Brian Clough on Netflix and all that, and it was good through Forest and John Robertson. Um, he loved John, and John was a very difficult player to play against because he was clever, you know. Yeah. He, he was intelligent. He could come short. He could go inside. He could go outside. Um, wasn't the quickest, um, but he moved the ball quickly. They played some good football. You had people like Tony Woodcock running in behind you. So, so people like John Robertson was a very you know, difficult because somebody, if somebody just quick, you maybe give them a yard. Or, yeah. Are one-footed. You say, right, I know he's going one way." John had had the had the lot as far as being intelligent, using the ball, coming and joining, going left, going right, and um, he 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 was very successful and a very good Nottingham Forest side. Fantastic. And by the same token, are there any players you played with, and, and any non-obvious ones? Yeah, maybe that you thought would make it big or to international level and and didn't not necessarily just at Ipswich but over the over your whole playing career yeah uh, I mean when I when I was player if you look at um, the squad it was 14 internationals <laughs> so you can't say that none of them you know you know underachieved because actually I think even Kevin Callan when he came was a you know, international and he Kevin you know was more a sub than he played and he was an <laughs> excellent winger so we better, we better pick Paul Cooper then, yeah, better we? Well, Coops, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, he's he definitely. I mean, when you look at now, he would be even better because because when you did your practice and your your passing drills, Coops was one of the best. Yeah, and we he had a lovely left foot, you know. You could spray it about in there. I mean, when you watch you know the football then. The big difference is you used to be able to pass it back to keep and they picked it up. <laughs> so if you're under pressure, if you watch the cup final, it picks it up. Yeah. So you think, and then you kick it, you know, so you could waste a lot of time, but not now. But as I say, Paul Cooper on, with his feet was tremendous. So he would be even better. But Paul wasn't tall, but he had great spring. And and I could see, you think, well, do a gamble to go quickly. I knew Paul was going to catch it. As soon as Paul was catching it, he knew I was going to be virtually on the halfway line and then whoosh. So that, that worked as a counter-attack from the goalkeeper. You know, so you see that going on for a But Paul, you know, was very unfortunate not to get an international cap. Get a couple of decent keepers ahead of him, though, didn't he, I suppose? Shorten and Clements and that sort Yeah, of well, <laughs> very difficult. I mean, that was the problem. You know, we had talked about like Richard Wright, Richard Wright, who's international, uh, went to Arsenal. I wanted him to stay, but he had a, a figure in his contract. He could move, and then he goes to Arsenal. David Seaman, who he thought was going to retire, didn't retire. Hardly played for a, a game for two years and didn't get any football. And Richard, at 21, was a full international Ipswich, you know, and he was a big loss. So um, that, that shows you that, um, you know, it's very important that you can get there, but if you make the, the wrong move, it can sort of stumble your, your career. Yeah, perfect. Well, I think we're almost done, but, you know, we, we can't really not talk about Sir Bobby just in general. Obviously, you've been you know, talking about him all the way through, but as I said before, I've just finished play, um, reading Paul Mariner's book and as expected, you know, he couldn't speak any any higher of, of the guy in terms of not just as a player, but actually after retirement. Um, and he's not the only ex player to say the same you know, to a man. You all, you all do. Uh, 
what, what was his what were his main attributes as a manager? Paul Mariner talks about his detail and, and preparation, but his man management was second to none, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, I spoke about what he did uh, in my debut. Yeah. Um, for me, it was his enthusiasm. I mean, when you walk into a room with Bobby or there, bang, he's off. You know, he's talking about football. He's excited, and everybody stands up, you know, and listens to him. You know. I think coaching, you left a lot to the other coaches on the training ground because it's important, you know, when you get older as a manager, it's better you step back and have a wee look at it. As a younger, you want to do everything, but it's full time meeting there. But his enthusiasm for games and hated losing, you know, and he, he just wanted to go out there and give it everything, you know, give it everything in the training ground. He wants you to be lively and sparky. And, and be, be totally focused to get better. Um, and his knowledge of the game. We've talked about the way he played, you know, 75, 78. Knowledge of the game, how to adjust to players. You know, when you've got a squad of players, you, you know, you, it's not black and white. You've yeah. got to adjust to them. You know, and it's seen so much, even in Portman Road, you know, that you could good players or whatever, but you haven't adjusted to it. You've got to adjust to get the right coordination between people to play. And that's what Bobby did. He, his signings were fantastic and the way he developed his teams. So he thought, all oh, right, that's got to change. All right, we'll put you know, Eric Gates there and that there, or Tyson Muir in there. So he adjusted his team. Oh, how are we going to get better when I've got the job? I've got to go get this youth policy right bring the best young players in as we can, treat them well, let's let's promote them, give them a chance, you know, you know, make them improve. And that was all the way through and out since he did that, which was phenomenal. And he had good coaches in that. And yeah. you know, we it made it fun in there and always every pre season we, we'd go and tour and end of seasons we used to go and tour, you know, he'd take us to I think it went to Hawaii and and Israel and all that, and you know, and the, and the coaches were good, and we we had some laughs and that. And the characters and you know, Bobby Ferguson was a character. And I remember when we went to Israel, and Bobby Bobby loved the sun, and he, he was there, and he used to do his karate against the waves, and the boys used to laugh on that. And then, you know, he's we were having dinner, and Bobby said, "Oh, to I think it was Brian Simpson, the physio." Brian, I've had too much sun. Is there anything you can give me for it? He said, well, there's some calamine lotion there, you know. So fine. So Bobby takes it up to the room and he comes down in the morning and says, oh, Brian, I feel bad. What about I said, that calamine lotion tasted rubbish. It made me a bad stomach. <laughs> <laughs> so the boys were going, he didn't drink it. Oh. So, but, I mean, with with great characters and, you know, you're talking about big characters in the dressing room, you know, Maris and Butch and, you know, so they are Alan, Alan and the beat. So, you know, we had big characters and, and really um, people who wanted to, to work hard to win games. But, that, but that's not created by accident, is it? You know, having those particular characters who, you know, blend in a certain way, that's that's a skill in management in it in itself, isn't it? It, most important, yeah. most important, because a group of players means nothing if they're not, you know, playing to their strengths. Bobby used to do what you're good at, you know, and then he he would organise it there. You know, you've so, seen so many squads, you're thinking, that's not right. This balance is not right. So, that you know, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. And people think it's easy. You know, I think, oh, well, that can just do that, do that. It, it's not like that. Football's not like that. You've got to be able to get players who are going to work together in whatever formation, and there's not a bad formation. The formation is right for that squad, might not be right for the other squad. So, so Bobby managed to work that one out for, for his squad of players, and that player that come, comes in will do a job there. So um, it's yeah, it's not black and white. It's um, you've got to have, For me, you've got to have the eye for it, the eye for a player, the eye for saying that system's not right for that or what he's doing it wrong. You know, and you can have all the computers and all the stats you do, but unless you've got that eye, trained eye for players and, and done it on the training ground. We were a passing team. So what did we do for training? We did loads and loads of passing. And that was, I think, when people watched Epstein's Town, we were good passers of the ball because we did it. You know, we, it's 
you know, doing it week in, day out, doing it all the time. Well, talk of Sir Bobby's management will lead us nicely into our next chat and your next phase, the next phase of your career, um, the management side of things. So for the time being, many thanks for your time, George. It's been absolutely fantastic. And as I say, the next time chat will be about the management side of things. It's the promotion running. Everyone is gathered round to watch. The McNuggets share boxes are there offering much needed distraction. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping, but in you swoop to steal the last nuggets and claim all three points. Oh, and there is the Harry Clark fist pump to celebrate. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in at participating restaurants. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.